I am surrounded by snakes and fucking morons! Uh, if it is to be said, so it be, so it is. Get down! Bore on the floor! Bore on the floor! Kendall, ring the troops! Bore on the floor! Bore on the floor! Get down! Greg, on the floor, bore! I'm not saying I would make a better CEO. That's unsaid. It's not unsaid when you say it. But I think this is the day his reign ends. A oh, fuck off. Hello, hello, hello. Davey Portman here from Poison Rana. And this is a big return. It, you've been asking for it, it's come back. We've all been caught up in WrestleMania season, but it's time to start talking about the final season of Succession. It's time to sesh, and tonight I'm gonna sesh with Jordan Goodman. Jordan, how are you doing? Uh, hello, 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 Davey. Uh, 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 uh I feel like often in these podcasts within, uh, this Poison Rana and, and Post community, I'm often saying I'm not doing too well. Uh, I feel sick. I haven't slept. I've been working with clients all week. So I, I apologize to those in advance. Also, I apologize. I realize I've never seen Succession before. Right. Well, this is going to be an interesting show. Uh, have you have you just been lying to me all these years? Uh, well, it's been, what, two years maybe? Two that years, when you So when you started The Sesh, a wonderful podcast, by the way. I'm a genuine fan. In fact, I think this is true. I believe The Sesh is what got me to sign up to your Patreon instead of every now and then being like, hey, you mind sending me uh, the MP3 of the podcast? Uh, like, I think that's what what sold me. And I've continued to be a, a patron ever since. So I would I would blame you perhaps of sparking my interest in succession. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, I, I've yes, I've, I've seen the show. Uh, and but yes, it, it's you did it. You're you're the cause of all this. Oh well, well, thank you very much. Um, it's it's interesting because uh, I don't think we've ever talked about uh, like a movie or a TV show or anything like that together. We we're normally just talking about uh, the world and you know pandemics and and mental health and that kind of thing. And obviously, you do uh, detox with uh, Braden, which is a hell of a fun show but this is the first time we're kind of maybe analyzing something together we did the only time i've ever done a wrestling uh analysis show was tlc i believe 2020 with you and right. uh i guess i've done a really i did a poor job i've never been asked by anyone else to uh hey jordan you want to chat wrestling like you know you've you've actually worked in pro wrestling maybe you have an interesting <laughs> perspective um, but maybe I shit the bed. That was when uh, that fire match with, uh, I guess, Bray Wyatt at the end. Like, everything's oh, set yes, on okay. fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, I remember. Pandemic era. Uh, yeah, I think we did a watch along first and then maybe gave our thoughts on the show after. Yes, yeah, so so let's see how, how good I am at, at being an art critic. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we're putting these two episodes together. We're talking about episode one, uh, The Monsters, and episode two, uh, Rehearsal. Um, it was WrestleMania last week, so it was kind of a, a bad time for wrestling fans to sort of debut the new season. 
And whereas kind of this time last year, I was, you know, binge rewatching season one and two to get kind of all caught up and in the zone and ready to go for season three. Uh, this year's a little different because there's been a hell of a lot going on, uh, like in other things, mainly wrestling, obviously. And um, so I, I found it quite weird kind of going back to this and trying to pick up where we left off and obviously a show like this where i i don't really have any kind of um business acumen and uh i don't know about you jordan either like it's some of it it's a very entertaining show but some of it does go over my head so trying to kind of get back into it after over a year uh off from doing this um was a was a little struggle for me i felt yeah i definitely have had uh, i apologize if you hear this like that's okay dog with a like unusable legs barking for food <laughs> um uh like a lot of times you know I, I worked for ring of honor which was owned by a, a billion dollar company in sinclair broadcast group uh here comes my jewish mother serving me matzo balls passover don't, please don't look at me i haven't showered uh, this is not on youtube mother but thank you uh, could you uh, close the door though and tell this dog to shut the fuck up? Thank yeah, you. Tell the dog, shut the fuck up. Right. Um, so, Davy, that's a that's a Jewish mother for you. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Ring of Honor. Uh, certainly, even just in working in the pro wrestling industry, I see some parallels or things feel familiar. But then also working within the much much larger structure of a corporation like that and seeing how you know ring of honor might be you know the the cruise division of the larger uh uh conglomerate that uh is focused on in in, in this show um see there's there's parallels to that which i find interesting and some of the characters i can kind of relate to oh yeah this character kind of felt like this person i interacted with um and I really, like, first of all, I'll just say, I fucking love the show. It's yeah. great. Um, and part of why I really like the show is because, at least from my perspective, it seems like they get a lot of the details right. And we'll certainly talk about that as we review these two episodes. But it just feels like whomever is uh, writing and producing the show has a decent grasp on the worlds in which they're um, creating. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think even if like someone like me who doesn't quite understand everything, it is presented in a way where I go, yeah, that sounds like it makes sense. That sounds like it's real. So even if it is all complete bullshit, some of the stuff they're doing, they're presenting it in a believable way. And then I think the what I love about the show is just the balance of uh, humor and drama. You've got this whole cast made up of pretty awful people. Um, but it, it plays with you and you go from episode to, to episode kind of siding with different like different siblings who you're on the side of. And then they do something that's kind of a bit despicable and you you kind of lose them a little. And sort of even in episode two today, you, you start feeling for, for Logan a little even, which is is crazy considering the kind of character he is. But they they do it all with such this uh, sharp, witty humor that you can. You can enjoy it as a comedy. You can enjoy it as a drama. You can enjoy it as like a analysis of the business media world. Uh, I think you can enjoy this show on so many different levels. 
Agreed. Yeah, if it wasn't so funny, I'm not sure how interested I would have been in the show. Um, I really don't watch TV like that. Uh, hmm. Certainly, I watch uh, a hell of a lot of pro wrestling, um, but there really aren't many shows, especially in this format, that I check out and will follow and, and at this point get excited. So I, I binged the first three seasons, I think around the time season three was airing, like I said, because that's when you started this podcast. Yeah, right? I season started three. it last season. So uh, maybe toward the end, there was some gaps where I couldn't watch two or three episodes at a time. Um, but now that it's been a, a handful of uh, time in between, I'm going back into episode one of season four thinking like, fuck, I hope they recap this effectively because I'm not going to watch uh, 30 some episodes again. And I don't really remember much of the details. And one of the things that's great about this show is that uh, there is so much detail going on and things matter and you you reward it for paying attention, which is often a criticism we have of pro wrestling. There are often as well characters that are talked about that you never see um sort of other people they're trying to do deals with or you might have met them once a couple of seasons ago and be like oh yeah that guy so it's it's quite often as the episodes are going on you're going okay sorry which, which company are they talking about now which owner which which sandy is this even um so yeah i i definitely needed to do one of the recaps before uh for this show but uh kind of where we left off at the end of season three was um logan was going to go into a, a deal with uh, Matson, like a, a merger with uh, Gojo, and um, I believe the the mum sold most of her shares to Logan, so he was able to do the deal in which kind of just completely shutting out the kids and screwing them over. And that's where we left season three. Uh, Logan with the juice, as we say on this show, and the kids kind of being defeated, but maybe for the first time in the whole series feeling united as a trio at least connor's kind of on his own little island but uh roman shiv and kendall kind of at the end of season three definitely felt like they were all now on the same page mm. how did you feel about that as a cliffhanger especially i think the key character being tom and switching his allegiance um did it can you remember when it ended last season uh was it an effective hook for you I, I think so. I I mean, I was surprised when they announced this was going to be the final season because I, I think there is more you can get from it. And we have seen, like, it from my point of view, watching this show, Kendall was the one I was rooting for from the beginning. But then mm. he starts doing a lot of stuff where you go, man, this guy's a bit of a dick and he does a lot of fuck up. So then, and then you can't help but sort of fall in love with Roman a bit because of how much of a a prick he is and because he's maybe started off as a bit of like the runt in the litter and then really starts to actually have some good ideas and i think that's something we saw in season three how he started being not just the the youngest kid with a silver spoon in his mouth but actually being a bit more ruthless and getting some things done so you move between him and then uh shiv definitely kind of um being you know the uh, the one daughter and how she's always got to fight more and probably being the smartest business wise out of the three of them. Um, but then you see kind of how her relationship is with Tom and how, how her, she's probably the most ruthless of the three of them. So 
And, and funny given how the marriage uh, has turned out, but I would also argue the most emotionally intelligent of the siblings. Absolutely. And then you've got Logan, the patriarch of this whole thing, who, I mean, obviously the comparisons with the McMahons are there. We talked about it last season. All this stuff going on with WWE and sales and all that. Uh, it all keeps on coming back to succession. But Logan, very much like Vince McMahon, we thought like nine months ago, is that it? Is that the end of Vince? Uh, he's out. He puts out that tweet, I'm retiring. The The company starts being led by uh, Stephanie and Triple H and Nick Khan. And then he kind of muscles his way back in and then gets this big sale. And that's kind of exactly how this show has felt. We've seen a few times where... Uh, you think the kids have beaten Logan and then he fucks them again. And I think there's that line from Tom in the last season. Like he says to Kendall, I've seen you get fucked so many times. I've never seen Logan get fucked. He's the one that always wins. So for me, uh, you ask about like the hook at the end of the season three, the hook for me was, okay, these kids are now united. And how are they going to take down Logan Roy? Cause I feel that is the, uh, as entertaining a, a character as Logan is, uh, I kind of do see him as the big bad in this whole story. And it has to be eventually him getting toppled or fucked, as we say on this show. One would think, uh, yes, uh, he he would be the head of the table in 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 the analogy. And I think the kids coming together at the end of season three felt like a Cody Rhodes of, oh, now we have a credible challenger to the throne. Yeah. And, well, we'll see. It didn't work for Cody right away. Uh, but also, I, I think the the kids, how the end of season three, there's that, there's that still, and I know we used it for one of our graphics last year, of, um, like, Roman and Shiv comforting Kendall as he's, like, completely broken down. And he's he's told them about the uh, the waiter at the wedding in London who who died and all that. And that was the first time I felt. You did really you know saw... that? Sorry. Did you know that waiter? Personally? Yeah. No, no. Okay. <laughs> um, but you could see how, uh, how there was actually genuine love for each other in that moment, even though it's never really been expressed. You did see there's a moment when my brother is, is at his lowest moment. I will be there for him, even though, most of the time I'm fighting against him. Well, I, I think ultimately this is not so much a show about business, but it's a show about family. Mm. And I, look, in, in episode two of this season, which we'll, we'll recap, there's uh, perhaps the peak of the episode, this dramatic scene in some karaoke bar um, or room where Logan is trying to perhaps in the most pointed way in the series, uh, emotionally connect with his children, whether it's a complete farce or not. Um, this is what bonds the family together. And I think it's those moments of emotional connection between family members that one helps us as viewers feel connected to the show. Because as you mentioned, none of these people are likable. Mm. Like if you ask me, who's the protagonist here? Who's the baby face? I don't know. It seems like for the first uh, few seasons of the show, um, it, it revolved around um, uh, Kendall, but and he's kind of fallen off as the centerpiece. But 
he he's not likable at all. No. And, and really neither. I mean, Roman, I think, can be a fan favorite because he's funny and crass, mm. but not necessarily likable. Like no one's likable. So I think like what I like about the show is that given that there really is no one to root for, you have these moments um, where there is genuine emotional connection and there's at least something to hold on to as a viewer to relate yeah. to these people. Yeah. And if that not, it's just, they're just vapid scum, you know? Good writing and good performances. I mean, we've seen other shows with this model that being success, like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and that kind of thing, where um, it's depth. It's adding these layers, which I think as, uh, as pro wrestling fans, we don't always get. But I think that's something with this whole Bloodline story. It was It's worked because for once we've had something in wrestling where it's not necessarily what's being said every time. It's the stuff behind the lines and it's stuff that we know the history and the scars that have been formed from these relationships over the years. And I think that's why where this bloodline thing has been a, a huge success. Cause you start looking into, you know, a tiny wink between two guys after their match or stuff like that, because it, it means something. Um, yeah. And that's absolutely, I think when an audience can connect, uh, even if the people are completely unlikable. Agreed. And then perhaps the greatest, uh, most compelling story of all in pro wrestling would be the McMahon family and the actual business dealings of this company. 100%. Right. Well, shall we get into it? I think the way to do it, I know last year we did kind of uh, scene by scene, but as this is a, uh, we're doing two episodes in one here. I'm just going to kind of do a overall recap and uh, stop me when you want, but we'll kind of discuss everything after each episode. Well, I'm curious. Have you had matzo ball soup before? I have. Yes, I had some. Uh, um, what's the uh, the big famous Jewish deli restaurant thing in New York in like Manhattan? Um, like Katz's? I think it was Katz. I had it. Yeah. Did, did you ever do Carnegie Deli? That's no longer there, but that was the big one I for a while. So. Okay. But you enjoying your your Passover soup? Yeah, I could really use some like signed eight by tens of like white male actors from the eighties to get that New York <laughs> deli vibe. But yeah, it's pretty good. Good stuff. So we kick off season four just a few months after the end of season three, um, and we see Logan Roy, who's wanting to sell Waystar. The sale's going to go through potentially in two days. We've got the a big election coming up in just a couple of weeks. And it's Logan Roy's birthday, but um, obviously the tension is still there with the kids. None of the kids are there. And uh, Logan kind of does seem bothered by this and his his state of mind throughout this whole episode. It's like, I want to ask you, is it because of the, the kids not being there, which is bothering him? Or is it the the upcoming sale that he's stressing about? Or is it a combination of all of that? Perhaps all of that. The The real theme I'm getting is just his sense of mortality. Mm. Um, because he he's having a lot of existential conversations in some of these episodes of yeah. like, what is this all for? And like, what are like, who are, what are people and what are they for? And just seeing them purely as a market and just sharing broader philosophical viewpoints that he's developed over his lifetime. And that's, you know, he's, he's developed and he's grown this thing that he's now going to sell just about all of, except for his cable news channel. And I, I would 
think of it as an existential crisis, which is the the real looming threat that he's contending with. I mean, I I would say that that is a big part of this whole Vince McMahon sale as well. Yeah. Like he's he keeps on saying in the in the sort of CNBC uh, thing where he was with Ari Emanuel and explaining the sale and everything. He kept on saying things like, I, "I'm 77." Like I, I'm. He kept on mentioning his age in his retirement speech. It was that, and you talk about existential crisis. Well, uh, that mustache. So um, yeah, and the dyed hair. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it. There's definitely something with Vince where he's like realizing, like, "Oh, I might not be here." Um, he said it felt like the right moment to cash in. Very similarly with Logan Roy, he's had these scandals come out in the news with the cruise ships and um, sexual misconduct there and stuff. So um, it, it, the parallels are very, very similar. But there is he does definitely seems a lot less bullish in this episode um, mm. and is questioning a lot of things and does seem to kind of be bothered that his kids haven't shown up. Whereas we've seen in the past, we've had these birthday parties before where he has been fighting with his kids, but ultimately they they are there and they do get along because that's what they do. They fight, they make up, but this this time it feels different. But who knows if maybe him feeling the absence of his children is because he has some sense of love for them or it's just another reminder that he's losing control. Mm. So, also, while we're he- while we're here, sorry, have you watched the the Helwani interview with Paul Heyman that came out in the past day or two? Oh no. So, uh, something that I found very revealing um, was, you know, Helwani was asking pretty pointed questions about Paul's thoughts on the booking of WrestleMania, but also this uh, recent merger, and Paul said that I guess from his perspective. The I'm paraphrasing, but like the great love of Vince's life was building the business of WWE. And then after that, he said, and the brand as well, Mm. but didn't mention his children, didn't mention grandchildren, uh, certainly didn't mention uh, other personal relationships. And it wasn't even just the fans of WWE that, that cultivating the talent, telling the stories building the the more general brand and the cultural impact that the brand of WWE has had on generations globally, but the business of WWE specifically. And that really gave me, um, you know, trusting that Paul has far greater insight into, you know, Vince McMahon as a human being than any of us ever will. Uh, that was, that helped me see Vince in maybe a more accurate way that it really is about building a business whether the business is sports entertainment slash pro wrestling um, or ice cream. And uh, I, it seems like pretty similar to Logan's character. Like it really is just about business. Obviously with that, you know, with, with Logan's um, uh, businesses, certainly the thing he's holding on to uh, a, a cable news company, then control and cultural influence is important. Um, but I don't know, that just really stuck with me as a very, I thought, revealing um, perspective that Paul shared. Like for Vince, it's all about the business most specifically. And I can imagine part of that comes from like both Logan Roy and Vince McMahon kind of came from nothing as well. Like I know Vince, like eventually, like he, he found his, um, what, it, his stepfather's Vincent. No, his real father's Vincent. Game of Man, right? He, yeah, but he found yeah. him later in life and he'd 
grown up in a trailer park and that kind of thing like you the story's out there uh logan roy is very similar and i think maybe the fact that it's it's built from the ground up rather than inheriting something it's it feels completely his and Mm -hmm. also it's how much bigger can i build this thing rather than Mm -hmm. maybe if you just came into this company you inherited this and then well it's it's sustainable and it's working and you're happy and you're you concentrate more on the brand and the creative and that kind of thing whereas i think it's it's almost like people who who gamble you know you could be playing roulette and you could win two hundred dollars and you could be happy with that and walk away but then there's the part of you that goes but you know if i put all this down on red i could get four hundred dollars and then i could maybe get eight hundred dollars and then and it's that kind of thing and there's not the mentality of going when i'll stop well that's the slippery slope yes of gambling certainly but uh also of business perhaps depending on how we relate to it there's and and you know in it toward the end of this second episode we're hearing these conversations uh, mostly from the kids perspective of like can we squeeze more because there is always more to be made and how much is enough yeah so greg is there our favorite cousin greg uh, who might be the most redeeming character in this uh, although he can be a bit of a prick as well uh he's brought a date to the birthday and Kerry is giving him a bit of grief for that because um, he's like, she's going, oh, do, do you know, do you know this girl? Like, do you know her, her last name even? Um, and you shouldn't just be bringing someone who you're just wanting a quick fuck from along to this, this date. And Greg's saying, well, I'm, I'm a family member. I'm cousin. I should, I should bring a date here. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are going to start giving grief uh, for Greg bringing his date to this birthday. Can we talk about Greg real quick? Yeah. Uh, um, from memory, he was in the first scene of episode one, season one, in the theme park, throwing up in the in that like character outfit. Yes. Yes, yes that's right. So, like again, I, I've said I've really not watched many series similar to this. I've watched all of The Wire, loved it. I've watched all of Breaking Bad, um, uh, watched most of Mad Men. But that's kind of it, to be honest, as right. it, it, you know, these types of series. And so, you know, I heard you talking about it a lot. Uh, I, I would hear Way talking about it a lot. And I was like, you let me try this out. But it takes a lot for me to buy in, to commit to uh, 30 hours plus of, mm. of, some, of anything. And that opening scene hooked me. So I was kind of wondering, one, like, was it just that setting and like him throwing up in the whatever like is was that just to hook people or is he gonna come out at the end on top of this season or the series i i think uh i think thematically that's something a lot of tv shows do um bookend like you you bookend it i mean uh spoilers but game of thrones the last image of the first episode is very uh the the guy who ends up getting the throne gets pushed out a window and that's the last thing you think of episode one and Mm. you know so like book ending thing is a thing and i think with greg being the the likable the most likable one and the most outside of the family even though he is family he does feel but he's an underdog he is i could see him just completely yeah falling into a lot of money somehow and maybe by name like running this thing Um, and forgive me if 
this is like a very common theory. I don't really talk with other people except my girlfriend about this show. And it's not like I'm on subreddits um, looking up fan theories and predictions and stuff like that. Um, but also, in a sense, I could see the entire series being um, his character arc in the sense that he learned everything he needed to learn like through this family in order to fuck him in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's shown glimmers of being smart, you know, he is a, a bumbling idiot, but he's like, he's got a role in this company now. And he, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that being the case at the end. And I think most fans would be pretty happy with that. Yeah. And maybe he still remains a bumbling idiot, but sometimes you just stumble into dumb luck and win. Yeah, exactly. So the three kids uh, are now together. They're in Los Angeles and they're starting their own media company called The 100, uh, starting from scratch, building something something small, but something they're, they're pretty passionate about and getting behind. Um, and this is when Tom calls Shiv and we learn that these two, after season three, are temporarily separated. They're kind of trialing separation, trying out other people. And Tom wants Shiv to know that he's uh seen naomi pierce he's kind of saying look i know it's nothing sexual but i don't want you seeing kind of photos being snapped of us together i want you to just to let you know and you can hear a bit of maybe jealousy in shiz voice and she's questioning why he's telling her this if it's not sexual and what the whole point is of it all and uh as she goes back to tell the family because obviously Kendall was seeing Naomi at one point saying, ah, Tom's fucking your ex. Um, Kendall's on his phone and sees that Bridget, Greg's date, this, this random girl has tagged one of the Pierce cousins at this birthday party. And so this like little device of just Bridget, that Greg's date kind of really falls into the kids favor here um, because they kind of put two and two together and realize that maybe Logan is making a play to buy out the Pierce company. So they decide, let's ditch what we're doing with the 100, and let's try and sneak in and buy it before Logan does. Uh, Roman very much isn't behind this idea. He's kind of sensing that they're maybe not doing this for business purposes, but doing it as a way to screw dad. And Kendall and Shiv assure him, go, no, no, no. It's better for business, it's more reliable, and the bonus is we get to screw dad in the process. So, uh, yeah, so they're going to make a play here, um, but we can see it's quite interesting because I I was wondering where we'd pick up and mm. after season three, and it kind of, you know, the kids seem in way better spirits here than they did at the end of season three, and they maybe didn't seem like the ramifications of season three didn't quite seem as big as I thought they would be. And interesting that Roman still kind of, uh, is it that he's passionate about the 100 or is it that he's still kind of of the three, his daddy's boy, right? And that's essentially revealed toward the end of episode Absolutely. two. Yeah. Um, we've got Connor who's still making his presidential uh, bid and but is only getting what like a one percent approval rating and he can't drop below that so he's debating spending uh another hundred million dollars to try and kind of stay relevant 
to stay like at one percent at one percent essentially so to essentially uh paying uh, as he admits uh, uh, paying an ungodly uh, amount of money to just stay in the public consciousness mm. and willa kind of encourages him to do it here which i found interesting she's like well if you it's what's another hundred million at this point um so yeah i can't say that i'm fully following this whole connor presidential thing it always seems like a bit of a a sea story going on but i wonder if it's going to have bigger uh like ramifications down the line uh perhaps but did like wwe cw as a third brand really end up meaning much in the end um and that i like obviously this will come into greater focus i think as it relates to how um atn covers the election mm. for sure and perhaps how the kids um depending on how things play out with them take their own spin on the i think i think the election will be certainly a centerpiece of this season and that will be something that you know both sides are kind of like jostling over mm. um th their own spin of it um but uh so you said the election though is in weeks is what you said because i had missed the, the timeline of that that there's an election in three weeks i I assume they're talking about the presidential election, but they kept on saying, oh, the election's coming up in three weeks. But again, I'm thinking if if it's the like general election for the presidency and it's three weeks away, I would assume that that would be more at the forefront, especially when all of these different characters are attempting to acquire, um, or at least for, for Logan, um, uh, maintain, but really reinvigorate his presence within the cable news. Like this is not the time to have transitions in ownership no. of like the major, the, the, the major cable news organizations. No. Uh, yeah. I, so I, I don't know. It seems uh, maybe that we, we don't have the timeline, right. Or maybe we're talking more about a, a primary election primary um, or an election within the company. I don't know. Like, no, I, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, but yeah, I, I think I think certainly there's a reason why he's still in this election. Mm. Um, and my assumption is that like perhaps he ends up being a, a focal point for the first time in the show later in the season. So the kids go to meet Pierce and uh, so they're going to try and swoop in there as at the uh, birthday party. Tom is just bullying Greg again about his date, uh, saying that that's a gargantuan handbag she's got kind of calls her a little little trashy and uh and we hear for the first time here that greg and him have been calling themselves the disgusting brothers so we get the sense that maybe they've been going you know wingmanning each other at bars and trying to trying to pick up girls and well before uh greg kind of uh because tom's encouraging him to get rid of her Bridget comes in and says that they need to go because she upset Logan because she wanted a, a selfie. But amazing. I loved that. Like yeah. just the audacity. Um, it, I think perfectly encapsulates the, the, the point of a character like her. Yes. And obviously that selfie is something that's kind of, uh, that screws Logan actually. And we see uh, Kerry now who's trying to get the kids to kind of contact Logan and have a chat with him. Uh, she feels he's kind of uh, kind of down that they haven't contacted him on his birthday. 
And they say, well, you know, he can call us first. If he wants to talk, he can call us. And she goes, ah, well, the best I can do is maybe get him to text. And they uh, they keep making fun of her for, you know, fucking their dad. And now uh, we see Connor is still scared of this presidency run and he's he's throwing all this money at it. So he suggests um, doing something a little ridiculous for their wedding and have all this hoopla. He says, let's get married under the Statue of Liberty and have rappers and bum fights. And again, I, I, I don't really understand this. I don't quite understand how this helps him. It's something to what offset money or, or what? I didn't really get this, Jordan. Uh, I think it's just how can he stay relevant? Right. And again, like to be my, my assumption, because they're not really going too much into this, but my assumption is that from the general public, he's being looked at as the ultimate fool. In mm. all this, um, uh, clearly he's um, uh, he does not self-aware um, in large regard. But uh, my assumption is, it's at this point, what can he do to maintain interest from uh, the news organizations to cover him and thus maintain uh, a sense of relevancy in uh, in the public sphere? So Tom is still winding up Greg uh, because Greg's revealed that he uh, he hooked up with Bridget in one of the guest rooms and Tom is just winding him up, lying, saying that there's cameras everywhere and Logan always checks them at the end of the night to make sure no one's stolen anything. Um, so gets Greg to the point where he's like, well, I've, I've got to nip this in the bud before Logan finds out. So Greg goes off to tell Logan and... Uh, where and the timing of this greg walks in as logan is pissed off because he's just found out that there is a rival bid and uh realizes it's his kids and tells tom to call shiv and tell her to get their own idea and this is when greg tells logan and um at the most hilarious time because logan is just full like beast mode just terrifying here um but uh, Logan almost finds it amusing. You see there's a little smirk on his face, um, which I, I love this scene. And I, I find the Greg-Logan uh, relationship so funny because it's so, I mean, Lo Greg even says it later when they're, he's like, Logan's telling them to roast it. And he's like, I'm, you're scary. I'm fucking scared of you. I'm scared of you right now. And I don't know what to do. Uh, I, I find those two very funny together. So uh, they tell Pierce um, the kids tell Pierce that they um, they want to play. They think they'll be better for the company. That they've that Pierce has never really liked their dad, and that uh, like they'll be in better hands with them. And they're all kind of playing a bit of a all right. Well, how much would you want to offer? How much would you want us to offer? That kind of thing. And um, long story short, the kids outside agree. Uh, to 10 billion that uh, they're going to go up to 10 bill uh shiv's had a chat with tom and said that their ceiling is 12 billion and logan's offer is way underneath this i think they go up to seven um so pierce agrees and shuts it off and says there won't be any more uh bids and it again seems roman is unhappy with this he thinks it's way too much money for the company thinks they should be doing the hundred thing and basically feels that they're spending tell bill, 10 bill just to spite dad. Um, the most interesting thing here, I thought, in the negotiations was uh, 
Pierce asks Shiv, well, your your husband works for Logan. How is that? That's going to be kind of, uh, could be messy there. And Shiv tells her that, oh, we're getting a divorce. No divorce has been mentioned at this point. So Shiv has kind of decided for the sake of this business deal that she is going to terminate her marriage, which does feel pretty dead already, but it seems a, a very Shiv way to go about it. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, we're getting a divorce. Mm. While we're here with these two characters. So I didn't know until probably after season three, see, I, I didn't want any spoilers. So mm. I waited till I finished season three before I started watching any of these actors like appearing in interviews and stuff like that on YouTube. I had no idea that two of them are British. Um, I think, uh, yeah, Tom is British. I think Shiv is Amer uh, is Australian. Oh, well then excuse my ignorance. <laughs> um, but like it's the same thing with the wire. I, I believe two mm -hmm. of the main characters, um, uh, the guys that played at the stringer bell and McNulty, British as well. Yep. Like, how the fuck do these people do this, Davey? Uh, what do you mean? Well, like, as someone with a British accent. Well, I know, like, I know Idris Elba, when he, uh, they, they wanted, uh, I believe the, uh, the spec was for actually people from Baltimore um, to audition for The Wire. And Idris Elba, like, just was, did his research, did his training on the accent and everything, went into the audition in accent the whole time. And it wasn't until way down the line where they realized he's actually British. But at that oh, point, wow. he, he like got the job. Um, yeah, I mean, I think just American kind of film TV is everywhere. It's yeah. it's you kind of it has to be something in your your arsenal uh, to do to be able to do. I realize these people are literal actors for a living. Like that's their trade. Yeah. Um, I just find that like so remarkable mm. aside from just the fiction of this show, just the performance. Um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't do accents like that thing. I once, uh, I, I'm working on an Eric Marcotte accent. Um, I'm not ready to reveal it, but like that is not a natural talent I possess. I'm not very good. I, I really need to work on it for like, if I ever play like an American part, I work on it kind of line for line specifically for that part. But I'm, I'm not someone who can just switch it on, which is something mm. I, I need to be able to do. Um, Tom as well was in a, in a great show called Spooks uh, on the mm. BBC back in the day. It's like an, a show about MI5. Uh, he played the lead, basically kind of the, the James Bond sort of character also called Tom. Uh, but I, I recommend that it was a really good show. So Logan is pissed because the kids have won here and says, uh, calls them and says, congratulations on saying the biggest number, you morons. And the episode ends with T Tom wanting to talk to Shiv about their relationship. And Shiv just wants it to end and move on. She's like, look, we had a good run. Let's just try and make this as painless as possible and separate. Um, and then it, it ends with them kind of lying in bed because neither of them want to kind of leave that night and holding hands. But I think this scene, I think their scenes together are often really incredible uh, because there is so many layers to this. And you know Shiv is often the one manipulating Tom a lot of the time. And and as I said, she's she's made the decision. They want the divorce. Like, 
she doesn't want to work on anything at this point. It's it's best for her to just get this separation and move on. But uh, I thought a really nice scene between these two right at the end here. Agreed. Yeah. Heartbreaking. I mean, the acknowledgement that it's done, but still the desire to be physically close to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, like I, I'll, I'll say this or I could say this multiple times. Uh, it's a great show. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just, it's, it's well acted. It's believable. Like it makes me feel and look, perhaps, you know, I've never seen, uh, the Sopranos and the top other 200, uh, series that, that people would cite as like just the, the, the peak of television. So perhaps this quality of acting and writing and comedy and drama is standard. I don't know. But again, I don't really engage with entertainment like this often. So maybe I should, but I'm watching this stuff. And I'm like, say- this is like quality art. I'd say most HBO shows are are at this level and worth worth checking out for sure. Mm. Well, I fuck with Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I heard nice. th- this upcoming season is the last one too. Haven't they said that like a lot of times with Curb? I, I, it's taken I think multiple me- like year long breaks and like multiple year breaks and stuff, hasn't it? Yes, but I think one of the actors even had tweeted out. Uh, something very close to a confirmation of, yeah, like this was, we just had our rap party for the, uh, like I, I've seen some stuff, not that I go into deep dives, um, but okay. it seems more definitive than maybe it, it had been in the past. Than it has been before. Uh, yeah, I, I thought a great episode. I found it, it wasn't really what I was expecting. I didn't really expect the kids to get a win this quickly. Um, considering mm. how we left the last season, it felt I thought kind of this this season long story was going to be you know the kids clawing back to to get that win, and they seem to get it pretty easily right away. But we know how this show goes, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure there's going to be some fuckery going on, and especially as we get into episode two, um, Roman's kind of uh, where he's going to stand and how that could affect everything. Yeah, and perhaps maybe some of the story was rushed when the decision was made that I don't know how many episodes are in the season. I'd, I'd imagine eight to twelve, but There's ten, I think, this season. Okay, so perhaps they didn't want to spend half a season building the arc of these the the, the redemption of these kids to kind of like peak in order to be you know uh, pushed off again. Um, but kind of reminds me of Cody entering WWE. Um, now within the fiction of WWE, if you take out the story of him leaving and climbing the, the metaphorical mountain Mm. to get back to WWE and also taking out the very real injury that he sustained, but you know, Cody came in and, uh, he won his matches. He beat Seth three times in a row. Uh, he comes back. Not only does he win the Royal rumble, but he was number 30, Mm. like, Cody was kind of like it it was easy yeah. for him. Similar to how like for the kids it seems like they're they're setting the table at the start of this season where like all right, they're regrouped and uh and they outbid their dad. Like they're hot right now. Um which only leads me to believe like that's not going to last long. No. As was true for Cody. How did you how did you feel about that Cody losing at Mania? Uh, it was disappointing. 
Now it's different for me because I've worked with him personally. Mm. So when I started at Ring of Honor, he was the first world champion that I worked with. And I've never worked with another wrestler that took that role as seriously, not just as world champion, but just his role. Like, you know, he's someone that would text me constantly like, Hey Jordan, where are we at with tickets for this show? Where are we at with this show? What more can we do? I never had another wrestler in the couple years I was there engage with me in that way. Like take a personal responsibility of, Hey, what more can we do together to make this successful? So because of that, like I was literally along for some of the ride of Cody's ascent after the fall Mm. from his first run. And so for me, for him to be crowned at WrestleMania this past week, it would have felt like a true redemption story. So I was very disappointed, but I think from the WWE's point of view, within the, the, the WWE narrative, like ring of honor, the Indies all in AEW, none of that really counts. They'll Mm -hmm. allude to it, but it doesn't really, it does the seven-year-old WWE fan really know any of this stuff? Probably not. And they're telling much, uh, their audience that they're, they're um, entertaining is far broader than people like you or I, Davey, or people listening to this podcast. Um, but I, I also think the timing with the merger and then uh, Vince's, um, at least the perception, uh, assuming it's all is true, that he kind of has, quote unquote, like taken back the pencil, did not leave a good taste in my mouth or a lot of people. And certainly the follow-up the next night, look, Cody was fucking hot on Raw. Yeah. And Roman was hot too. Like Roman got a lot of the heat from the booking decision. So that leads you to believe that, okay, they did a good job because the the, the counter from them would be, okay, Cody wins. He, he accomplishes the thing. Then what? Where do you go from there? Yeah. And I think that's a compelling argument. Now he got his fucking ass kicked by Brock where he is just selling and just selling and giving nothing back in return. So if they really are building a longer story where Cody eventually um, goes through his hard times and ends up winning the title that his father couldn't, then great. Like good on you for the, but, but again, do I have faith in the booking? I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel if we if we knew for sure that Triple H is still spearheading creative, I think it would be like, come on, let's let it play out. But we don't know how many things can change along that way. I, I was I was surprised, but I wasn't in the camp of this is the worst decision ever made kind of thing. Um, yeah, because I mean, you go back to like Clash at the Castle, like Drew's been telling that story. he did the whole thing where he went away, reinvented himself, came out back and. Uh, okay, he won it during the pandemic era, but hasn't been the champion with people. And that was the talk story they were telling with him. And you're right, it's Cody's kind of had an easy journey since coming back. So uh, I'm I'm in the kind of let it play out camp. Also, I kind of feel Roman is probably not going to be in this company too much longer, is my opinion. Like, I, really? think what, I feel once he loses that title, I think we're going to see a lot, lot less of him. So if he's committed well, you to could... doing like kind of the schedule he's done for the last year, um, 
why take it off of him at this point? Because I don't know. I, I think it will be interesting to tell that story of a Roman Reigns without those championships. But it could just be like, ah, oh, what do we do with this guy now? So Exactly. A, a same thing. Okay. If he's committed uh, he finally... to WrestleMania 40 and then it's like, I want to take six months off. That's when you do it. If he's like, nah, I'm here right now. Uh, maybe keep him on. Sure. It's just a matter of, look, with uh, certainly with Drew to a far less extent, if he was the guy, Clash of the Castle was like really good conditions to yeah. to pull the trigger. Sami Zayn, to a much greater level, obviously, like just right time, right place, right momentum. Uh, but they did a really good job with Cody too. Yeah. And, and I think from the fans' perspective, well, it's like, well, if they're not going to pull the trigger on uh, Sammy, especially, well, then they only did that because Cody is the one. Hmm. And so, again, if they can thread the needle and like and tell the story effectively, good on them. But it's hard to create these conditions where it yeah. feels right. And I think most would argue that this past Sunday for Cody's story certainly felt right. Yeah. Well, let's get into episode two, shall we? Uh, the rehearsal. It's Connor's wedding rehearsal dinner, and uh, Shiv learns that all the uh, div- the best divorce attorneys in sort of the city have are already on a retainer by Tom, and this is very much a a Logan move that we've seen him do before. Uh, so she calls Tom. He's playing dumb, and she tells Tom to tell Logan to stay out of her life, realizing that it's it's his kind of move there. Um, Kerry, um, uh, Logan's kind of side thing, is being trialed as the new host of this of the news program at ATN, and she's terrible. And throughout this show, we're just seeing people watching this, this kind of audition video almost and just laughing at how bad she is. She's stumbling over her words um, and just doesn't come across naturally at all. And this is where Shiv um, gets a call from Sandy, who who's on the board. And we're going to have this board vote in uh, the next day or two. Uh, sorry, the next day um, with Gojo, Matson's company. And Sandy doesn't think that the Gojo deal is very good. She thinks we can get more money out of this thing. And she goes, well, like, I mean, if everyone's on board with it, I'm not going to vote against it. But... I think it's something we should think about. And uh, Shiv kind of, she's convinced by her and thinks that they should go for a price increase, ask for more money from Madsen. Um, So they're trying to get their way back to New York and now realize that Logan has also uh, blocked the the choppers. So they're going to have to find their own way to get there. Because at this point, they do still work for Waystar and should be able to use it. But he's he's put that block on them. And as you mentioned earlier, Logan, kind of the one thing after this merger that he's going to still have his hands on is ATN, is the is the news channel. So this is the first time we've really seen him kind of in the weeds, kind of going and uh, he's walking around inside at the news station with his sunglasses on and Greg is terrified. He's like, what's going on? We never see him here. Uh, he calls Tom, who has been running ATN. And says it's like Jaws running Jaws right now in here, um, and we see that every- Logan's asking, "Hey, how's Kerry?" And 
no one wants to say they're all being yes men here. No one wants to say how terrible she is. So they're using words like, oh, she's very raw. Um, kind of saying, oh, she's she's a bit shit. Um, so Logan then makes this rallying speech. Um, it's very kind of uh reminds me of Leo in Wolf of mm-hmm. Wall Street, you know, just yeah. getting everyone behind him. He's gonna be uh much more with these people moving forward. Um, but then we see that he's very concerned because he hasn't heard anything about from the board and he's worried that this deal might uh fall through. And he goes in to see Hugo and Jerry, and he kind of walks in on them laughing at Kerry uh and her audition tape. But at this point, he's he's not really focusing on that. Um, but yeah, I think here kind of this scene, the the sunglasses inside, this kind of speech, it it's showing as well that Logan, yeah, has a lot on his on his mind right now and is kind of um realizing that he could be well, he's already lost uh the Pierce deal. Um and now he's just concerned of this Gojo deal just completely falling through. And uh so I Logan was the star of this episode by far for me. Um with this scene and, and the the later one that I referenced earlier in the, the karaoke room. Um Logan felt like a guy trying to see if he still had it. Yeah. Like, and, and, and again, felt very, uh, Vince McMahon to me, uh, in, in him describing like how he looks at, at the nature of business. Like it's, we're not just here to, um, develop or, or to create a value for our shareholders or not just here to do good work or we're not just here to be profitable like we are here to fucking murder our competition like this is war mm-hmm. business is war to him and uh a a a a monster of a person engaging in such a way but it made me feel something it certainly made me feel something. It gave me a sense of energy. And um, like, I know for me, uh, like I've related to, to that feeling, but in, in, in ways that were uh, far less. Um, um, Cutthroat. Uh, yeah. Toward where I'm not trying to harm other people, let's yeah. say, you know, sure. but I know what it's like. Um especially like in, in, in a band um, or in, in a business where it's like, let's, let's fucking win. Like, yeah. let's like, let's like, these are the other people doing it. Um, I don't necessarily have to be a bad guy. We don't necessarily have to like cut people off at the knees, but like we can fucking win. And like, that's a, a I think a lovely, powerful uh, feeling that sometimes I become desirous of, um, of like, what's the next thing that I can become that passionate about? Um, so all that to say, I found the scene to be really, um, entertaining certainly, but like I felt something. And again, if I'm going to invest my time, uh, often that's, that's the complaint with wrestling. It's like, if I'm going to invest my time, like make me feel something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like great moves are great and spectacular, but within the context of, character and story and uh, psychology like make me feel something and what's so great about the show is that uh 
this character of of Logan Roy and the performance of of the the actor portraying him like it pierced me pardon the pun yeah oh absolutely you know i this scene was fantastic and and also kind of again parallels this was uh tom's been running this thing tom is triple h in this scenario and this is vince mcmahon storming back to gorilla isn't it (laughs) being like this is mine difference being triple h is infinitely uh more composed than a tom yes absolutely at at least at least uh on the outside um from from the public's perception um triple h had a hell of a promo to open role to kind of rally the troops as it be meaning the uh quote-unquote wwe universe it was a bizarre speech like i loved it at the time and then by the end of the episode and hearing all the stuff coming out backstage it you take everything he says with different context i found it i found it very interesting and i i totally think that that speech could be analyzed uh in in a lot of detail um, and that's why the, the most compelling drama of the company is what's happening within that family and the business dealings and the the, the constantly the constant reshuffling of of power uh because it felt he did feel like tom where you know, obviously I, I I can't imagine Triple H is feeling great about a lot of what's going on, um, especially if he really had a a grounded confidence many months ago that this was now his. Yeah, and in his vision, clearly uh, it, it's seemingly a, a one eighty in just a matter of months from from that, and this seemed like uh, a a a Logan telling Tom. Hey, go out and do the job for me. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like that's what that, Triple H at the start of Raw was like, that was his job. And he went out and did it to the best of his abilities. Yeah. So the kids meet with Sandy and Stewie, um, who are kind of reiterating that they don't feel this deal uh, with Gojo is good. Uh, Roman and Kendall are on, on the side of, hey, like, let this go through. We're going to make a fuckload of money. Uh, we don't really need to be greedy and take any more let's just cash our chips and move on and and uh sandy stewie and shiv are going no we should all vote no and table these talks and get even more money out of this like let's make the most we we possibly can and get the best deal for us so they go back to the wedding uh sorry wedding rehearsal and they see willa who's completely freaking out um and she leaves and con says that she got up to make a rehearsal speech and just said, I can't do this and left with some friends. So Willa, who's kind of, I mean, this whole wedding anyway is bizarre. Like she's been like a, essentially a a paid sex worker for con uh, all these years. And he just convinced her to marry him because she probably thinks, well, he's a nice enough guy. He treats me well. And I could be the first lady <laughs> potentially. And what else have I got going on? And I think this is the scene is showing her being like, what am I kind of like putting myself through? What am I doing here? Um, yeah. Perhaps not unlike a previous first lady of my country. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Um, Madsen then calls Kendall and basically tells him, look, if, they no vote tomorrow. There will be no more deal. I'm not putting up any more money. 
And this makes Kendall think. So he asks Stewie what the other offers could be, like what else is out there? What other, um, like, what's the competition? What's what's the other mergers we could potentially do? And this kind of, after Kendall hears some of these, he now is swayed to be on Shiv, Sandy and Stu's side and thinks, ah, no, we can we can try and get more money out of this. We should no, no vote. Roman still doesn't want to. He's um, he's kind of, it's still in the camp of, I don't want to screw dad and just wants to kind of get this done with and take the money and run. When his phone's on the table and he gets a text from Logan and this pisses off the other siblings as they agreed that there'd be no first contact with dad. Like we won't speak to him until he contacts us. And he's like, look, I just sent happy birthday. That's it. And they check and kind of, see that that was the case and roman's worried that matt's matt's and will just walk away if they no vote and they said no we need to force dad back to the table and get all the money we can and this is uh connor's kind of listening to all this as well and he's pissed off because although he's not part of the company he's a like a major shareholder as well and is like look you just want to try and screw dad you're being greedy let's just take the money so they go, screw this. Let's all go and sing some karaoke. You'd think by now these characters who in, it's part of their nature to just be deceptive and to fuck each other would know, like, keep the phone in the pocket. Yeah. <laughs> like this well, isn't no, the first time. Notifications off or something. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. It just seemed like a, a, a stunningly dumb naive move um on roman's part down you know that's that's the trick you would think um but you know these people drink and perhaps uh that that was part of it um uh it's so interesting with with roman too because i think in many ways he is the more um or perhaps most um um what's the uh he just feels innocent so I think there's an emotional attachment that you can have for him, whether you're rooting for him or just feel sorry for him. Um, he feels like the little boy of, of the family and certainly the one who might be the most sentimental about wanting daddy's love or, you know, more pointedly, perhaps approval um, to feel needed and special. And, you know, the, the final interaction between he and his dad, it kind of, uh, spells that out very yeah. plainly especially when there there was the you know stories of him being locked in a cage as a kid and like beaten and that kind of thing it's whereas you don't get the sense that happened with kendall and connor and shiv so he's always seeking that approval absolutely um it's it's sad yeah really and uh, I think the, that that informs a lot of his character, why he is... Because I, I feel a lot of the time he says some quite cutting lines, but half of it, I just, you know, oh, take that with a grain of salt. It's Roman. It He doesn't seem as nasty, even though what he says out loud is way nastier than what Shiv says a lot of the time. Shiv seems a lot more, you know, manipulative and and vindictive to people. Whereas Roman will just see, be like, your face is stupid, that kind of thing, you know? Right. And and I think there's just, you know, uh, in this upcoming scene in the, in the karaoke room, uh, 
essentially Logan says like, you are not serious people. Yeah. Like you are not legitimate. And, uh, I feel perhaps Roman the most, but even I'm thinking in like Kendall, like he, like he had his shit going on, but then he like self-sabotages in the world. Mm. And, and it's interesting how he really feels like to me, a background character relative to the majority of the series, especially the initial um, so, couple of so seasons. So far, absolutely. Like it's, whereas he's felt like the main character for a lot of this, he's, he's definitely been just a, like a bit player. Yeah. Um, but Sh- Shivet is at least portrayed as, more of a quote serious person yeah so logan tells tom in not so many words but to cut kerry he he asks him again what do you think he says she's raw but maybe you know maybe we should start her off something real low and not on atn so logan kind of goes look i'm not going to do it i'm not getting my hands dirty here you do it tom so Tom doesn't want to get dirty either, so gets Greg to do it. And Greg is the one to kind of tell Kerry, and Kerry is obviously not particularly happy about this. Um, but, yeah, poor Greg having to do the dirty work here. So speaking of maybe being able to relate to the experiences of a show like this, uh, in Ring of Honor, I certainly knew what it was like to have the shit like drip down to me Mm. and then i'm put in a position to uh have the hard conversation or be the bad guy um to protect others that uh are ultimately making these calls but need to protect themselves and rightfully so um and look i what helped me was that i went into a job like that knowing the game. I really was good at not taking much personally. Did I take a lot of it or some person? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was only there because I was very passionate about it, but the actual like, uh, social gymnastics or, or political dynamics within an organization like that. Like I went into no, went into it knowing like it's fucking pro wrestling and it's like Sinclair broadcast group. And then like that, and it's like, um, so I, I see things like this where Logan is taking zero responsibility over, um, you know, you know, breaking the heart of his side piece. Um, and then Tom doesn't want to do that either. So it's like, all right, the shit just keeps like dripping down until someone has to be the guy. The thing is with this one, this isn't just any old employee. Um, Kerry will know that this is Logan's decision at the end of the day, because right, in many ways, if Logan like, didn't want her gone. She wouldn't be gone. So right. even though Logan's and, passed it off and it's gone down, like she knows exactly who's made this decision. Right. Which makes the, the, the scene. So uh, dynamic in that uh, Greg is the one essentially delivering news in which she doesn't have control over but yet she is the more powerful personality in the conversation. Yeah. Because yeah. he's Greg's bumbling and she's like essentially spit it out. Yeah. Logan learns that Sandy and Stewie, Stewie are going to vote no. So goes to meet the kids as Connor has told him that they're at this karaoke room. 
And so Logan meets with them and asks the kids to say yes. Um, they then realize that Terry's kind of lost this hosting position and just embarrass her and go, oh, he fucked you too, eh? Um, and uh, they say Matson, uh, Logan says Matson won't give up any more money. We need to be uh, unanimous here. We need to vote yes. And they want to get an apology out of him. And he says, I'm not someone who apologizes, but sorry. And they don't take that as enough. They go, oh, what are you apologizing for? Are you apologizing for when you did this to us? Are you apologizing for when you did that, when you did this? And they kind of get like, you see, he's maybe the weakest we've ever seen this man. Maybe I mean, he was not pissing on the carpet weak, but uh, they've really kind of got him here. And but they are. Adamant- but but did they really? Or did he know exactly what he was doing? Hmm. Were they falling into his trap, him knowing that the trap is the emotional intimacy that they've been craving for since birth? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, He says, uh, I love you, but you're not serious people. And he leaves and gets the crew together to go to this meeting, but says, no, Jerry. Uh, Jerry's barely been featured at all and she's been a major character throughout this whole thing uh found it very interesting we've only had a couple of scenes and a couple of lines of dialogue here but maybe this was the most important thing where like why didn't he want jerry to go into this meeting yeah well i mean the last time we had seen her uh it it went unsaid but he knew that she was making fun of you know his girl jerry yeah yeah, although I think he still said he wanted Carl and the other people that were there, Hugo and stuff. So, yeah, yeah so I'm sure there's other dynamics at play that mm. you, look again. It's been years since I watched the majority of the series, and that's kind of the bummer about this. Is I, I think what would have been more ideal for me is okay. Here's the entire series, and let me rip through it. Yeah. So you saying you think uh, maybe the kids fell in his trap so what you think he wanted them to vote no or like what what is his play here um yeah i think there's manipulation at play to to get him or to get the kids to to be on his side with this i mean look they're still they they need they're still part of the same team at this Mm -hmm. point like until this deal goes through at least yeah um so I took it as he was going there to certainly try to get them to vote with him to let this deal go through as such. I'm with you. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to have to eat kind of shit to get this. So I'm, I'm going to do the things like say a pot, like say, I'm sorry and say, I love you and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They just didn't necessarily fall right into the trap. And then, so he resorts to uh, dehumanizing them. But he can, he, he saw from this, like, with Roman, that Roman is still, like, unsure with the whole thing and capitalizes that on the final scene where he uh, he brings in Roman for a meeting and says that he he's going to be overhauling ATN and he doesn't want Roman, but he needs Roman to be with him. He needs that ruthlessness and uh, so kind of promising Roman a, a pretty high position and essentially giving Roman like that approval he's always seeked for again. And it's like, you're, 
you're the you're the kid you're you're the one i want to be in there with me right just after saying you're not a serious person and yeah. that's the ongoing manipulation of this father um because he's made the kids continuously like build up their own sense of self-confidence of like yeah like i i know this this would be a good deal or this would be the next move for me or for us you mean you know when the kids are a united front but there comes daddy always um playing the hand of i know better than you and you don't know shit and certainly their entire lives these kids daddy's been put on a pedestal and they have to respect and admire his business accomplishments like as a businessman uh integrity uh ethics or not he has been objectively successful so like that's on him it, just because uh you you're you know his child doesn't mean that you inherit these traits these instincts these abilities mm -hmm. to be successful as you mentioned you know uh, at, at the top of this, uh, perhaps he or Vince have a competitive edge because they had to start with way less. Now, now also, you know, Vince's dad started the company. Um, so it's not like Vince started from scratch when it came to that, but he certainly revolutionized he bought his dad's it, product. He bought the territories and changed it into something sure. completely different. Yeah. So full, full credit to him for that. But uh, a, a Stephanie or a Shane, like, I'm sure that's a struggle that they've often had of feeling confident that they could do it. But like, but I'm not dad. I but didn't build the house. There, there so when you have dad, sorry, but when, when you have uh, Logan or dad, like looking you in the eye and saying like, you are not serious people. Like you do not have what it takes to accomplish what I've accomplished. You don't even have what it takes to, um, to be, you know, to help steward what, what, what I, what I built in the world. Um, that's certainly going to make you question your own sense of, um, ability or confidence in self. And then moments later, uh, for your dad to say, but actually I need you. Actually, mm -hmm. you are the one like the other kids. Nah, but you like, and, and he's done this with all the kids yeah. in different ways at different times. Um, it's like, it's, it's parent manipulation of, of the highest form. It's something where he might have had more pride if they went and did that 100 thing and started from scratch. And it, it is that thing where, oh, you are just inheriting what I've made and you haven't worked for this. And I, going back to Vince, there was that interview with Pat McAfee just before WrestleMania last year, where there was that line where he said, like, I expect a lot from my children and quite often I don't think it's enough. Or that's paraphrasing, but was saying where I don't think my kids do enough. And that was very telling. And I think Logan is definitely in that camp. And, and here he's not promising Roman the world at all. Whereas he's just being like, oh, I've got a, a good position for you here. Where Roman's had good positions in the company before. It's not really anything new. Um, but def like Roman's the one he manipulates the most. I, I feel we've had this scene before when we've had votes going on and we've had that bit in the boardroom where Kendall was like, oh, we're all voting no here. And then Roman's just squirming. And Logan's like, Romulus, 
What is that? And he, right. But when you say like they've had good positions in the past or he's being offered like a good position now, potentially like, does that even matter? Is that what these characters, the children even are looking for? Like if, if they, um, you know, a- acquire this media company or if they had started their own media company, is that really what they're looking for? Does that give them a sense of meaning um, to, to or purpose in life or is the position that a Roman is actually looking for is to just be connected to his father. And that to me, that's the ultimate position he's been trying to be promoted to his entire life. So, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. Like in, in acting, when you're, when you're approaching a role, you have objectives and super objectives. So what is the objective of the scene? Like Logan's objective of this scene is to get the kids to say yes. But what is Logan's overall arcing super objective of this show? And that's the thing you want to question of all these characters. What is a Kendall and Shiv super objective at this point? Is it to is it to run Waystar? Is it to or is it to fuck dad? Is it to they've been beaten down by this guy so much throughout their lives that they just want to know that they've beaten him and they've conquered mm. him. And it doesn't matter what it is they they've got in the process. They just want to be, uh, yeah. Whereas, yeah, Roman, I would say, is the approval of his father, is his super objective. What kind of stuck with me a lot, which we didn't mention, was um, when Connor convinced them to leave uh, the party and he wanted to do karaoke. And in just the language he was using was he wanted to just go out and, quote, be a real person. Like he wanted to go to a bar and he wanted to be amongst quote unquote regular people. And it was just the, 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 the scripting of it really um, stuck with me because these kids just feel so fucking hollow. Yeah. Like they don't know what it's like to be uh, a regular person in the world. Um, and, and a lot of think of what I'm pointing to with that is like, secure emotional attachments to other human beings Mm. and themselves. And so I think them going to just say an average bar in New York city to do perhaps like an average activity for a a bachelor party type setting, like karaoke, I think that points toward a deeper desire to just feel connected to themselves and other people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Connor has that whole speech about, like, what is it? He's saying he's been left or ignored multiple times. Like, he he can kind of deal with it. It rolls off his back now at this point. And, but, but yes, but so that's his way of like learning to, um, to survive in the world from the constant, um, assault of abandonment or, um, Rejection. Even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, a, a Shiv or a Kendall is what is their super objective to fuck dad. Yeah, but it's all relative. And I think more idealistically, they could just like feel and have love with their family members. Yeah. But again, what what is realistic at each moment in these characters' journeys. And I think that's where they're operating from. But underneath all of it, 
um, you know, I'm speaking more generally from a very humanistic point of view. What is it all about? And what do we actually want? We want to feel secure and feel love. And I, yeah. And I think with this family, um, there's, what is it? End of season two, when, when Kendall makes the speech where he, I'm trying to remember exactly, admits to all the like wrongdoings the company have done. And there's that smile from Logan where he's like, mad because it could fuck up everything but there's almost that pride that his son went there that he was ruthless his, and i think his son almost, is a killer exactly and i think uh him saying you're not serious people whereas if they do like ultimately fuck dad then he would see them as serious people and he would have that love for them and he would feel that they've done the work to ultimately get that goal at the end. So it's it's this weird thing where, yeah, they're super object. Like maybe, yeah, fucking dad isn't the super objective, but getting the love and respect of their dad is. But to get that, ultimately, they do have to fuck him. Which is so interesting because then it becomes a matter of, is that even worth it? Yeah. Do but you know, if they're not, they're a- just treading water. They're doing what they've had. And they know they've never really had that respect or love from their father. Right. So, I mean, as we really like, you know, look under the hood of these characters, like it's a tragedy, this show. Mm. Like it's not, it's not pleasant at all. These people in their lives, as extravagant as they are on the surface, underneath the surface, like these, it's depressing. Yeah. But and fabulous who, TV. Who's normally standing tall at the end of the tragedy? The fool. Uh, yeah. Cousin Greg. Yeah. Goes Cousin back Greg. to the point earlier. We bookended it, Jordan. Look, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> so is, is this, uh, do you like, I don't know, do you engage in like internet chatter about this stuff or not necessarily? About this show particularly? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have done for other shows. Um, this one, not. I mean, this is how I'm doing it on this: is talking with different guests and things, and yeah. and you know, kind of talking to people at work. Also, watch the show and things. There's, I've definitely been one of those people. When when Lost was big, I was I was on the message boards and all that kind of theorizing and stuff. Um, but uh, Game of Thrones, I've I've done it with as well, and I enjoy it. I think I like shows that. There are some shows I watch to just, you know, turn off my mind, switch off. And that's quite often when I go to bed, I've got Family Guy or Bob's Burgers or something like that in the in the background or reruns of The Office or stuff like that is a favorite for a lot of people. But if I'm watching something like I want to be able to, I don't want an episode to end and then me think, oh, that was good and not think about it. I think the fact yeah. that you're, you are thinking about these things, it makes it like I've never viewed tv as just a waste of time which some people do Mm. i i watch tv good tv like i would read a book or consume a play or a movie or stuff like that because i am taking stuff from it and i want to be able to to think and have those conversations and that's why that's why i i often don't like the the like netflix model of just dumping everything at once because i feel something like stranger things if you were dropping week to week, there would be that conversation and you'd be theorizing about what's happening next or whatever. Whereas you get this thing where it's like, oh, have you seen the new Stranger Things yet? Oh, I, I've seen the first two episodes. Oh, I finished it. Oh, well, I don't want spoilers. Okay. 
And then the season ends and you go, how is that season finale? Yeah, I wonder what they're going to do next season. And then that conversation ends. So I, I do like kind of analyzing all these things. And and when talking with guests, you often start realizing things or finding out things that you never really thought about as well. So yeah, I I enjoy doing this. Yeah, which is the point of art and contributing to culture of people connecting over this stuff. But what kind of came to mind because, uh, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm in a public forum, uh, dissecting this show with you, which is quite fun, but this is the only time I've really engaged with this level of depth beyond maybe chatting for a few minutes with my girlfriend after we watch an episode. Um, but you and I like, are the opposite of that when it comes to wrestling, at least how I've been relating to succession in that you and I are like as knee deep in the culture of wrestling as uh, most people or, or of anyone in the world where like we have our fingers on, on the pulse of uh, from all these different perspectives, from a, a fan's point of view, um, from the business perspective, um, all these different things. And I'm always curious about quote unquote, casual fans of pro wrestling, just like I've been a quote unquote, casual fan of succession. Like the majority of people that watch wrestling, they watch it and then they return back to their life and don't really engage with it until the next episode, let's say. And I don't know if I'm really working like to, to a, a question or even a point, but I'm just, I find that fascinating. Just the, the majority of people that don't engage with wrestling, the ways in which you and I do. Well, I, I think, and it kind of sums up a point you said earlier about having an emotional investment. If, if I was showing a non-fan wrestling and trying to like convince them that this stuff's pretty cool and what they do, although it's predetermined is incredibly athletic. I might show them Vikingo versus Kenny from a week or so ago. I think the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens is a way better match because of the emotional connection. But if you're showing someone who doesn't know that uh, nine-month Sami bloodline story or you go back to a multi-decade story of Kevin and Sami starting in Canada and PWG and all that, they're not going to have the same emotional response as when Sammy is picking up Jey Uso by the beard and holding him in place for that final halluva kick, you know? Yeah. And that's and that's at WrestleMania where a lot of that audience, yeah, you're going to have your casual fans who are going because WrestleMania is in town, but people are spending thousands of dollars to travel to go to this because they have been invested and dissecting every moment. And I think that's why WWE's hot right now because they've had a hot angle. They've had a hot story. They've been having people coming back because they want to see what's next in this story because there have been the nuances and the layers and all that. So, so yeah, I think you can watch this very casually and be Roman Roy's hilarious. Or mm. you can watch it on, all right, so the nitty gritty like we've just done today. Um, and I think that's where shows are successful if you can appeal to both if you can have casual and diehard fans yeah no totally agree when you mentioned kenny omega like that match as a a a possible good candidate to show someone kind of um with a clean slate let's say uh 
another match on the opposite side of the spectrum that came to mind that I think can achieve a similar purpose was Sami Zayn and Johnny Knoxville. Yes. That was, that was the match that hooked my girlfriend on Sami Zayn. Um, but I think also got her to buy in more to the genre of professional wrestling itself. Yeah. And I, and I think with wrestling, a lot of people, cause how many times do you get that? Oh, you know, it's fake, right? It's like, yeah, we're in on the joke. And I think you watch that Sami Zayn, Johnny Knoxville match and you go, yeah, we know it's fake. We know it's predetermined, but we're in on the joke. And that's why it's, it's fun. It's fun to, you know, boo heels and cheer baby faces, but it gets even better when you actually genuinely care about the person in that match on top of it. And I think that's why I think that Sami Zayn Knoxville match is a, a perfect thing. Cause you go, look, there's a giant hand. There's a giant mouse trap. There's someone three foot tall body slamming like Sammy. Like, yeah, we know it's not real, dude, but it's fun. So that's affirming because essentially that was my argument for my creative of Ring of Honor. Honor is real. Honor is real. Nice. Because, you know, most people like, well, what's their first... um what do they say, you know, your mom or whoever, when you say pro wrestling, we're like, oh, well, that's fake. Yeah. And so my point was like, yeah, no shit, motherfucker. But honor is real. And like, what is real about wrestling? And like, that's what to me, honor represented, whether that's the emotional connection with the fans or the dedication yeah. um, and the commitment of the performers and the fans, et, et cetera. Um, I don't think I did. Uh, I certainly did not do as effective as a job to really tell that story in the ways I, I would have liked over time. Um, it just felt like it was just a catchphrase that they liked and just kind of was like, let's, let's let it just be a t-shirt. Um, but that, that was the vision I had. I wanted to tell a broader brand story about, yes, wrestling is fake. We know this, but honor is real. And here's what honor represents to us as a company. I love that. That's awesome. I tried. I tried, tried. Davey. But I, I gave <laughs> hey, my you, shot. You sold out Madison Square Garden yourself. So Myself. I think you did pretty well there. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we should wrap this up for the first episode uh, of this season of The Sesh. Uh, do you have any kind of final thoughts or comments you want to get out there? Um, you haven't talked much about penises today, Jordan. Well, certainly not horse penis. Mm. Um. We can talk about penis. Um, when's the last time you jerked off? Uh, when did we start this podcast? Uh... Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. I, I think we should end this here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, you. Oh, you don't like this. Well, I mean, we talked about matzo ball soup. So um, you do do a show on this uh, feed called The Detox with Brayden Harrington once a month. Um, maybe end with kind of explaining what you do with that and and the wellness policy before we we say goodbye sure actually thanks for the reminder i guess brayden and i need to have a chat about when we are going to do this in in april uh what is detox uh detox i think we describe as a show about nothing uh and that's i think that's a more honest version of me versus the wellness policy the wellness policy is on the post wrestling feed with waiting and Neil, am I, doesn't everyone know this? Am I really explaining this to anyone who doesn't? I think people, I, I'd like to uh, maybe 
like detox put out there a bit more because okay fuck the wellness policy is what david yeah, says fuck post. so 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 <laughs> no, detox... I, just mean, I think i think people know post uh like de- uh wellness by now but understood uh detox uh is more of a stream of consciousness conversation i think it it is a more appropriate vehicle for me to be a bit more absurd uh and irreverent in the conversation which i enjoy greatly uh, but what's important to me is that I pull at both ends in many things in life so we can be absurd and irreverent and talk about horse cock while at the same time in our previous episode of Detox, I'm speaking, uh, I think, very genuinely about the recent death of my father. So uh, you get a bit of what life is like the like what kind of succession is the 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 serious drama and perhaps sometimes tragedy of life and also the more lighthearted um elements of what life can offer us all and uh when i do these things it's important for me to be community based um as i know is for you guys as well so we always go to your private facebook group and uh take questions, often random, absurd questions from the Poison Rana family. And that feels for me like a really nice way to connect uh, with the community. Uh, and at some point, inevitably, in every episode of Detox, I offer myself, Brayden, and the rest of us a guided meditation uh, with the backdrop being uh, Mac Tonight, a commercial from the late 80s, I believe, uh, sung by a moon for the McDonald's Corporation. Okay. I, I mean, I know it from Three Penny Opera, but yeah. Uh. Uh, we're speaking different languages right now, David. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, from a, it's from a play, that song, Mac the Knife. Good well, song. that's Mac the Knife. We're oh, talking about Mac. This is Mac Tonight. Mac Tonight. Oh, Mac tonight. Yeah. So the origin, I think it started in just California, uh, perhaps just a, 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 I don't know, a, a franchisee of a McDonald's. I believe they were trying to figure out a marketing strategy to get the consumers to start thinking of McDonald's as a dinner option as well. Hence Mac tonight. Got you. Very. I don't think that caught on too well, but I think McDonald's are doing okay. Well, 30 plus years later, I'm offering my own tribute on a Poison Rana feed, uh, you know, uh, with guided meditations. Love it. Because that is is what I do. All right. Jordan, it's been lovely talking to you. Do go check out Detox. Do check out Wellness Policy. Um, You can find me at Davey Portman and give us a follow at Poison Rana Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, poisonrana.ca for all our links to socials etc etc jordan where can we find you papa roach on snapchat.com how did i do today davey this was my first time you were fantastic yeah i i had a really good conversation i think i i get i got a bit nervous honestly going into this one because Mm. it's been a while i've been a bit out of the succession loop and i i wanted to make sure i sounded like i knew what i talked was talking about and i i think by the end of this episode i I bullshitted well enough today, so I, I'm happy with it. But no, I've I've loved chatting with you. We need to cool. do this more often. Yeah, well maybe one day we can talk about wrestling again. That would be lovely. That would be great. Uh guess next week is still to be confirmed, but I will be having an episode of the sesh coming out probably around next Thursday. 
um, give us time to watch it once and watch it twice if we choose. Um, and yeah, obviously you can find me in all the other shows. But thank you. Good night. Take care. Ahoy!